Hello and welcome back to Power Sessions with Natasha, where we find our confidence, our power and where we have real conversations. Today we are continuing with our amazing series of Africa's Kings and we are going all the way to the Songhai Empire to look at the king, the great leader, Askia the Great. When we hear of the 15th centuries, we've been told that they were called the Ages of Empires. There was powerful and influential African empires. One such empire was Songhai, which reached its full scope, strength and power under the leadership of Askia the Great. Little is known about the life of this great man prior to his military career, but we do know that his reputation was that of an intelligent, an ambitious statesman and a very wise tactician when he came to war and a man of great spiritual fortitude. With his military and political genius, Askia Muhammad ruled Songhai from 1493 until 1528, which is 35 years of unprecedented prosperity in the region. So how did he become into power? How did he rise to this power that he became? He was born Mohammed Torre in a region along the Senegal River around 1443 AD. Mohammed Torre was born to the sister of Emperor Sunni Alibair. He was the first king of the newly created Songhai Empire, who was then at the height of his conquests. His forces had swept across West Africa, had built and fortified many cities across the region, including Timbuktu. They had expanded the empire's naval force and had expanded the borders of this empire to engulf the regions formerly occupied by the empires of Ghana and Mali. When Sunni Alibair died in November of 1492 after mysteriously drowning in the Niger River, his son, Sonny Baru, naturally ascended to the throne. Sonny was nothing like his father, weak liberal and incompetent. The people could not tolerate this ineffective ruler. What they could not tolerate even more was a ruler who turned his back on Islam, which is exactly what Sonny Baru had done. Islamic fundamentalists led by Muhammad, who became the great Askia, began a violent campaign to overthrow Sonny Baru. Over 150,000 men mobilized in what would become one of the bloodiest wars in West African history to decide the fate of the empire. In the Battle of Anfoa on April 12, 1493, Muhammad's forces, though inferior in numbers, defeated Sonny Baru's forces decisively. With this victory, Muhammad assumed the royal title of Askia, which translates directly as forceful one. He started reorganizing the Songhai Empire and Askia's reign began with the reorganization of the administration of the empire. He first selected members of his family to occupy the newly created positions of Director of Finance, Justice, Interior, Protocol, Agriculture, Waters and Forests. To ensure the loyalty of his chiefs, Emperor Askia chose the daughters of his chiefs as wives and married off his own daughters and nieces to generals, judges, ministers and officials within the government. By doing this, 
the majority of the prominent families within the empire were in some way related to him, which requested loyalty. Even though Askia was tolerant of other faiths, his empire encompassed traditional African faiths, which were Judaism and several Islamic sects. He established Islam as the official faith of the kingdom. He consulted with Muslim scholars at Timbuktu and began an aggressive campaign to produce the most well-educated citizens in the Muslim world. Songhai gave birth to intellectual giants like Mahmoud Kati, who published Tariq al-Fatah, and Abdul Rahman al-Sadi, author of the history of the Sudan, an ancient reference to Africa, not political Sudan. Under Askia Mohammed, a scholarship flourished in Timbuktu and throughout the region. In the rest of the empire, Askia encouraged literacy, academic proficiency, and allowed scholars and students to study abroad in Europe and Asia. The knowledge that they brought back fueled the economic, scientific, and military innovations that would lead to the golden age of the empire. Likewise, students from all over the world traveled to Timbuktu to study scrolls so old that some were said to be remnants of the great library of Alexandria. That was a great library that was in Egypt. If you don't know about this library, please look it up. This library was destroyed by Julius Caesar. Of course, a lot of our African history was destroyed by the destroyers. Askia divided the empire into four parts, identified by ter terrorists of Timbuktu, Jene, Masina, and Tagaza, and he chose a viceroy to preside over each. The provinces were then grouped into regions which were administered by regional governors. An advisory board of ministers supported each regional governor. The nucleus of the bureaucracy was Askia himself, assisted by a council of advisors. Islamic law replaced traditional law in the larger districts with smaller districts retained their own ways. With his empire well-organized, self-sustaining, and firmly under his control, Askia was able to leave the capital at Gao to embark upon the mandatory Muslim pilgrimage to Mecca in 1496. Askia's pilgrimage has remained legendary as much for the pomp with which it was carried out for the marvelous tales to which it gave rise to. Mahmoud Kati, a chronicle who accompanied Askia on the journey, noted that more than a thousand infantrymen, 500 horsemen and 300,000 pieces of gold valued at $2.5 billion traveled with Askia on his journey. Askia's trip to Mecca was, a pol was as political as it was religious. Once he arrived, he met the Caliph of Egypt, the Pope of the Islamic Church, so that he may be appointed as his religious representative in West Africa. The Caliph agreed. El-Hajj Askia Mohammed Tore returned to Gao in 1497 with the new title. He was now the Caliph of the Western Sudan, spiritual ruler of all the Western African Muslims, and thus able to completely unify West Africa's Muslims. Let's look at the golden age of Songhai. Having successfully established himself as both the political and spiritual leader of his empire, 
Askia began his military conquest of West Africa. Songhai had already grown to become one of the strongest empire in African history, but Askia would expand the empire far beyond what Sunni Ali Bey could ever hope to achieve. He immediately waged a successful jihad against the Mossi of Yatenga, captured Mali, defeated the Fulani, and extended the borders farther north than any other Sudanic empire to the ancient salt mines of Tagaza. Years later, he conquered Hausaland in present-day Nigeria, and a subsequent campaign gained control over the trade routes leading to Tunis, Tripoli, and Egypt. In some of the newly conquered territories, Askia allowed the regional kings to rule as they had before, as long as they paid tribute. In other territories, Askia created a parallel post to the governor, local governor called the Mondio, that is the, the, like an inspector, who formed the official link to the imperial Songhai government. None of this would have been possible without the powerful Songhai navy. Askia's ships dominated the Niger River with dozens of ports and hundreds of massive warships. A side benefit of the increase in Songhai naval power was an expansion of trade. Ships carried goods to and fro from Portugal, the Mediterranean, Cairo, Algiers, Morocco and Baghdad in Iraq. The abundance of new goods and wealths meant the people of Songhai enjoyed a quality of life better than any in Europe at the time. The army of Songhai was reorganized in an effort to increase speed of deployment and a new fully armored cavalry unit was assembled and equipped with lances and archery. Tactically, this gave his army an advantage by putting more distance between them and their enemies while still allowing them to inflict damage. During this period, Songhai had reached the heights of glory. It had effectively become the rich, richest, most intelligent, strongest, and the largest empire in African history. Its wealth and might would be the 15th century equivalent of the United States of America. So, what happened to this great king? When Askia defeated Sonu Baru in 1493, he was already in his 40s. By the time Songhai had reached its full glory, Askia was approaching his 80th birthday. Crippled by old age and blindness, he was deemed unable to conduct the affairs of the crowns. And look what happened. Askia's sons began a mad power grab for the kingdom that Askia the Great had built, even while the old man quietly faded from life. First, his son, Faria Musa, revolted against his father, forcing Askia to abdicate the throne completely. Faria was replaced by Benken, who took possession of the entire palace and exiled the old man to an island in the Niger River. However, legend has it that a loyal son of Askia named Ismail traveled to the island to see his father. Askia felt the muscular arm of Ismail and asked him how it was possible that one strong, one so strong permitted his aged father to be eaten by mosquitoes and leapt on by frogs. When Ismail replied that he had no money to make war, 
Askia directed him to a spot where he had hidden a treasure, telling him the names of those who could be counted on for support. Askia dictated a plan of battle. Ismail was victorious and Askia returned to the palace. In 1538, at the age of 96, Askia the Great, one of the greatest scholars, generals, politicians, and leaders in African history, passed into legend. He is buried in a step pyramid in the heart of Timbuktu today. I urge you to go and learn about this king. We come from kings and queens. I hope you enjoy this episode and I'll see you on the next one.